Have you ever been on your way somewhere in the city, all turned around and find yourself walking in the complete opposite direction of where you're supposed to go? You ever been there? I know I have. Sometimes when it's time for me to move my car for street cleaning, I'll get a complete blank and I'll forget where I parked my car. And by the time I remember, because I'm not smart enough to write it down or, or, or take a picture, by the time I remember, I realize that I'm walking in the complete opposite direction of where my car is parked. And by now, I'm hustling, running, because those traffic cops, man, they don't miss a beat. If you're late by 30 seconds, they'll put a ticket on your windshield. Okay, I know that from experience. You ever feel like that in life where you're going in the complete opposite direction of where you're supposed to be going? Maybe with your relationships, maybe you desire to be married and have a family, but after the third dysfunctional relationship in a row, you feel like you're going in the opposite direction of where you planned to be. Maybe with your career right out of college, you had a plan, but doors that you expected to open never opened, and you find yourself going in the opposite direction, confused. Maybe with your relationship with God, maybe you used to be on fire for God and full of vision and purpose at one point, but things happen. Things happen and stuff changed and the passion is gone and you're walking in another direction and you know there's more, but you just can't seem to grab a hold of it and you just feel like you're going in the wrong direction. We're going to be looking at a story in the Gospel of Luke about two people that were walking in the opposite direction of where they were supposed to be. And I just want to set this up a little bit. This story is taking place on Resurrection Sunday. Jesus has already emptied the tomb and resurrected, but no one at this point believed that it really happened. And you have to understand that no one, not the 12 disciples, Mary Magdalene or Jesus' own mother thought Jesus was actually going to resurrect from the dead. Okay, We know the story because we have it written down, but the people experiencing the resurrection that day in, 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 first, in the first century, they had no idea that this was going to happen, even though Jesus prophesied about it and told them it was going to happen. When it happened, they had no idea that this was actually going to happen. They believed death for Jesus was the same as death for every other human being. And you know this because everyone involved in the story and everyone who was close to Jesus, they were sad and they were heartbroken and, and, and they were ready on the third day after his death to actually embalm him. So you know no one was expecting him to rise from the dead. And think about this, if you were a follower of Jesus and you knew that he was going to rise from the dead, you wouldn't be bringing spices to his tomb yeah. to embalm him. Instead, you would, you would be anticipating and expecting something great to happen, right? You would be full of faith. You, you would be, you'd be waiting at the tomb. You wouldn't have gone home. You would have been standing at the tomb waiting for Jesus to resurrect. But nobody was expecting that to happen, including the two people we're going to look at in our story today. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter number 24. You can turn there if you have your Bibles or on your phones, or we'll have it on the screen for you to read along. And we're going to start with verse number 13, and it says, And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, 
Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. We have here two people who were followers of Jesus. One, we find out later in the story, is named Cleopas, but we never get the name of the other traveler. And they're on their way back home from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus, which we're told is about a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem. And these two followers of Jesus, or at this point, former followers of Jesus, were walking in the wrong direction away from Jerusalem. You see, the promise of the Holy Spirit was going to happen in Jerusalem. The resurrection of Jesus happened in Jerusalem. But these two individuals were walking away from Jerusalem. And on their way from the place of promise was where Jesus caught up to them and started traveling with them. Isn't it interesting that Jesus could have appeared to anyone, but he chose to appear to these two insignificant characters on a road away from the center of attention, which was in Jerusalem? Isn't it interesting that Jesus chose to reveal himself to these two travelers? Uh, this is the only time Cleopas is ever mentioned in Scripture. And like I mentioned before, we don't even know who the other person was. Uh, the author doesn't even find it important to name, to give us the name of the other traveler. Was this person Cleopas's wife? Was it his friend or relative? We just don't know. Jesus, he could have appeared to Pilate, who was the governor at the time and the one who handed him over, washed his hands of the situation and essentially handed Jesus over to be crucified. He could have appeared to Caiaphas, who was the high priest, who spearheaded the entire conspiracy to put Jesus to death. He could have appeared to the official who struck Jesus in the face because he thought Jesus was being disrespectful to the high priest. He could have appeared to Peter or James or John or to another one of his disciples that had traveled with him and had done life with him for the last three and a half years. But instead, he revealed himself to these insignificant characters who were on their way out of Jerusalem. And I don't know about you, friends, but I think that's a very significant thing that Jesus chose to reveal himself to them. Because this tells me that the resurrection of Jesus is for everyone. It's not just for the chosen few. The resurrection and his power is for everyone. Jesus didn't just die for the influential or the important, okay? He died for the misfits and the broken and the marginalized, okay? The gospel is not selective. You and I might be, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is not selective. It is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. Not for some who believe, not for the influential that believe, not for the powerful that believe, but for all who believe is what Romans 1.16 says. Today, no matter how insignificant or unimportant you feel, Jesus notices you. No matter how insignificant or, or unheard that you feel right now, Jesus sees right where you're at. No matter what you've done, even if it was last night, even if it was 10 minutes before you came to this church service, no matter what you've done, no matter how low it is, no matter how evil it is, no matter how wicked it is, Jesus sees you and notices you. Amen? The text tells us that Jesus approached these two individuals and started traveling with them. 
For those of you who are saved in this place, aren't you glad that Jesus intervened in your journey? I know I'm glad that he intervened in my journey. I'm glad that he came up beside me and started walking with me because when I was a teenager, before I got saved, I was walking down a road of hopelessness, okay? I was a teenager. I partied all the time. I did drugs. I did alcohol. I did all sorts of things. I had a horrible relationship with my parents. I was getting suspended at school. And while I was still a sinner, Jesus came up beside me and started traveling with me on this road. Amen. Aren't you glad that he started traveling down your road when you were headed away from the promise? And when Jesus intervened in my journey, he came into my life. He saved me and he gave me a hope. He gave me a purpose and he called me to something that he promised to lead me into. And for the last 20 years, I've been walking with him and I haven't been perfect. My wife can attest to that. But you know what? Whenever I fall, I ask God to forgive me, and, and he picks me back up. And then I fall again, and he picks me back up. And he has given me a purpose and a mission, and I've been walking with him for the last 20 years. I don't know about you, but I'm glad Jesus joined me in my journey as I was walking away from Jerusalem. Amen? Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. Verse 16, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Some commentators say that God was the one who prevented these two people who knew Jesus and had walked with Jesus and they were familiar with Jesus. Some commentators say that God was the one that caused them from recognizing Jesus. And that might be true, but what if there was something else going on that prevented them from recognizing Jesus that day? Let's get personal for a moment. What is preventing you from recognizing Jesus in your life? What's preventing you from being able to recognize Jesus in the middle of your storm? What's in the way between you and greater intimacy with Jesus today? What, what is keeping you from recognizing Jesus at work in your life right here, right now, today? What's holding you back from spiritual growth? Uh, why are you dealing with the same issues Year after year after year after year. Uh, what, what, what is preventing you from going to the next level with God? Why isn't there any progress in your walk with God? Meaning there's nothing different happening in your spiritual walk from month to month and year to year. As we walk with Jesus, we should overcome some mountains. Okay? We should overcome some issues. But there's some people, they never progress. They never, they stay the same. They never conquer anything. They stay at that immature baby level for decades and decades and decades, struggling with the same old thing. Jesus is too powerful for us to just stay the same. He says, come as you are, but he loves you too much to keep you as you are. Amen. There's nothing different happening in your spiritual walk. Church is just a routine. You still can't seem to consistently read the Bible. You, you still can't pray for more than two or three minutes at a time. You, you haven't spoken to anyone about Jesus or invited anyone to church in who knows how long. You still get annoyed when people ask you to serve in church. There's no increase in your generosity. And you're just the same. Just kind of going around in circles. Just going around in circles. What is preventing you from growing Today, for Cleopas and his traveling partner, 
I think one of the reasons they didn't recognize Jesus was because of their disappointment. It was because of their deep, deep disappointment. Verse 17 says, And Jesus said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. Let's keep reading. Why were they sad? Well, it tells us. Verse 18, One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. You see, they were sad and disappointed and heartbroken because their friend and their rabbi had been killed. They were discouraged because Jesus did not show up the way they wanted him and expected him to show up. You see, because they were expecting, like most other Jews, a conquering redeemer, not a suffering servant. Okay, they were thinking government overthrow, not a bloodied, beaten man hanging on the cross, completely naked, just being spit on, being insulted, full of shame, no power, no authority, no nothing. They were not expecting the Messiah to come that way. They were expecting someone to come in military power. They were expecting someone to come in authority. They were expecting someone, when they walked in the room, everybody stood at attention. But Jesus came as the suffering servant. He came as a lamb. They were expecting freedom through power, not freedom through death. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. These two followers of Jesus saw the joy, but failed to see the cross that their Messiah had to endure in order to sit down at the right hand of the Father. They were disappointed and disheartened because things didn't turn out the way they envisioned them turning out. And that may have contributed to them not being able to recognize Jesus as he joined them on their journey to Emmaus. Isn't it true of us that a lot of times we don't recognize Jesus and what he's doing in our lives while we're on the journey? Especially when it's a difficult journey. While we're going through what we're going through, many times we don't recognize Jesus. And I know that because many of us blame Jesus for what we're going through. Many of us give up on Jesus when we're going through something. Many of us get resentful towards Jesus when we're going through something. Many of us get bitter at Jesus when we're going through something. Isn't it true that while we're going through what we're going through, while we're going through the difficult journey, that we don't recognize what Jesus is doing in our lives? It's only when we look back and survey what we've been through that we start to see how God was at work in our lives all along. But it's only when we look back, it's so hard to see God at work in the middle of our storm, in the middle of our struggle, in the middle of the story. And a lot of us, because we don't see Jesus at work, we miss out on what God is trying to teach us in the middle. I had a microcosm of this happen to me this week. This past week, we were at uh, Whole Foods, and I dropped off Priscilla at the front, and then I went and parked the car. 
And uh, before I got out of the car, I started scrolling through Facebook and a video caught my attention. And so I started watching a video. And while I was watching that video, someone came into the parking spot next to me and they reversed into the parking spot and they opened their driver's side door, probably I'm assuming to see uh, to see where they were parking better, to get a clearer picture. And as they opened the door, wind caught a hold of the door and it swung and slammed the back rear uh, driver's side door. And they broke the handle in half. And the other side was already broken. Somebody kicked that in uh, a couple of years ago. And so this side got broken in half. And so while this was happening, I was irritated, I was frustrated, I was annoyed, I was mad. Uh, and so we, you know, and so we ended up, you know, exchanging insurance information and all that. But after it was over, I realized that, man, maybe it was God's providence that I ended up scrolling on Facebook, watching that video, because if I had gone inside of the grocery store, that guy may have hit my car and he probably would have driven off because there was nobody there. But it's only after you go through what you're going through, that you look back and say, man, thank God I was wasting time watching a video while my wife was grocery shopping. But think about what we could learn and how much we could grow if instead of waiting till after, that we recognize that God is at work in everything that's happening in our lives now. Amen? These two travelers were probably on their way back home to what was familiar to them because they had lost hope when Jesus died. When Jesus died, their hope was shattered. And Proverbs says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Are you experiencing hope deferred right now in your life? Has something stolen your hope from you? Do you feel like you're never going to get promoted at work? and you just lost hope in ever feeling like you're ever going to get promoted, you feel like you're never going to overcome that particular sin issue that you struggle with and that has tripped you up over and over and over, and you've lost hope that you'll ever get victory in that area of your life? You, you ever feel like you're never, ever, ever going to find the one in your life? Some of you don't even know it, but you're on a journey away from where God wants you. And you are going to miss out on God's best if you fail to recognize what Jesus is doing in your life right now. Currently, in the middle of the jacked up mess that you're in, in the middle of the struggle that you're in, in the middle of the storm, the, 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 the F5 storm that you're in right now, in the middle of that thing, if you don't recognize that Jesus is at work, you're going to miss out on God's best in your life. God wants you to see today that Jesus is with you. In fact, he's on the journey with you. He's even allowed some of the things you're disappointed with because he's teaching you something that you could have never learned had you not gone through what you're going through right now. But here's the problem. It's during this time of disappointment that we give up too soon. We give up too soon. We give up on our marriage because our spouse has disappointed us and isn't living up to our expectations. We give up on serving in church because we're not getting out of it what we were expecting to get out of it. We give up on that idea or dream because we didn't realize that the work was going to be this long and this hard. We, we, we had an idea, we had a dream, and we thought, man, boom, it's going to happen. God gave me the dream, and we're going to see it 
just fulfilled and it's taken a lot longer and it's and it's and it's a lot harder than we anticipated and we give up on that idea or we give up on that dream too soon for all intents and purposes Cleopas and his traveling partner had given up on Jesus but Jesus had not given up on them and Jesus no matter what you've done has not given up on you Jesus will meet you in your deepest, darkest disappointments and he'll walk with you the way he did with Cleopas and this other unnamed individual. And I'm so glad that the other person in this story is unnamed because sometimes we can look at a story like this and we can say, well, I understand why Jesus revealed himself to this person because they're important. Or, or, or of course, he would reveal uh, a person uh, himself to this person because they're influential. They have power. So, of course, it would make sense for Jesus to, to reveal himself to this person. But this person that Jesus showed up on the road to is completely unnamed and insignificant. The author didn't even think it was important to give him a name. He didn't even think it was, he was that important to give him a name. And if he showed up for this person, he'll show up for you. If you'll show up for the unnamed person on the road to Emmaus, walking in the complete opposite direction from Jerusalem, he'll show up for you. Let's keep reading the story, Luke 24, 22 through 20, uh, starting in verse 20, 24. But now some of our women have completely confused us. Early this morning they were at the tomb and couldn't find his body. They came back with the story that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our friends went off to the tomb to check and found it empty, just as the women said. But they didn't see Jesus. Then he, uh, talking about Jesus, said to them, So thick-headed, so slow-hearted, why can't you simply believe all that the prophets said? Don't you see that these things had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory? Then he started at the beginning with the books of Moses and went on through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that referred to him. Some people don't take the time to really read and understand the scriptures. And that's why when they're going through a deeply disappointing season of their lives, they don't have the right perspective. Because they're trying to go through what they're going through in their emotions. Okay? Because they don't know the scriptures. They don't know the word. Okay? And so they don't have the proper perspective when they're going through a difficult season of their lives. And that could be said of the two people we read about in this story. Their outward inability to recognize Jesus was a reflection of their inward unbelief of what the scriptures revealed about him. That's why Jesus called them thick-headed and slow-hearted because all throughout the Old Testament, it was prophesied that the Messiah would have to suffer, that the Messiah would have to go through these difficult things, that the Messiah would have to go through what he went through, yet they neglected to see these portions of Scripture. And listen to what Jesus told his disciples just a few days before this whole scene took place at the Last Supper, John 15, 18 through 20. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. 
A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. In other words, if it happened to me, Jesus said, it's going to happen to you. If they persecute me, if they mistreat me, they're going to do it to you as well. And it's only as we get to know God's word deeper and more intimately that we can truly get a hold of this and walk through our struggles trusting the one who told us this would happen, yet also says, fear not. Number two, the resurrection of Jesus proves that I can overcome. The resurrection of Jesus proves that I can overcome. So they finally get to their home in Emmaus and invite Jesus to stay with them for the night. And at this point, they still don't know who Jesus is. Jesus walked with them for seven miles, talking to them, having a conversation. Yet they get to their house and they invite him in for a meal and to spend the night. And they still don't know who this person is. He's a stranger to them. Verse 30, when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Why were their eyes opened at this point of the story? What was it about the act of breaking the bread and serving them that caused them to recognize who it was sitting at the table? I think when Jesus sat down and reclined at the table and they served the tortillas to him <laughs> and, and, and they were supposed to be the host, but, but, but it's, very, it's very common that Jesus will go to someone's home after they invited him into their home and then he will, he will flip the script on him and he'll start being the host. And so he sits down at the table and he says, I got this from here. He grabs the bread, and, and their, their eyes are still blinded to him. They don't know what's going on. Still at this point, they just, they're just like, I don't know who this person is, but I want them in my house. And Jesus takes that bread, and he breaks that bread in half, and he serves it to Cleopas, and he serves it to the unnamed individual. And it says as he served it to them, as he broke the bread and served it to them, that their eyes were opened. And, and, and a lot of times when I read over that story, I thought, you know, it was a spiritual thing and that God caused the blinders to go off. But what I think happened was when he broke the bread and served it to them, they saw the nails in his hands. They saw the scars in his hands. They saw where the Roman soldiers had taken those seven-inch nails and nailed them into his hands and nailed them up on the cross. And it was only when he had broken that bread and he had given them, he had served them that bread. He had served them that bread. He had broken the bread and served them the bread that they were able to see the scars in his hands. And the Bible says that when they saw his scars, their eyes were opened. When they saw the scars, their eyes were opened. When Jesus breaks something in your life, 
it's not because he doesn't care about you. It's because he's trying to reveal himself to you. And so when Jesus broke the bread and served the people, they realized this is Jesus and he has resurrected from the dead. And right when they were able to just see him and talk to him and be amazed with him, boom, he vanished. Man, I'd be so mad. Like we walked seven miles. It probably took two hours for them to walk. Yeah, I, I finally realized it's you. And then you decide to just vanish on me. What is wrong with you, Jesus? When Jesus breaks something in your life, it's not because he's mad at you. It's not because he doesn't care about you. It's because he wants to reveal himself at a deeper level in your life. He wants you to identify with his scars because it's his scars that are the evidence of his love for you. It's the, it's his, it's the, it's the holes in his hands and the hole in his side and the holes in his feet that are the evidence that he loves you, that he loved you so much that he was willing to endure that pain for you when Thomas when doubting Thomas didn't believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead what did Jesus say to Thomas he said come put your hands in my scars put your fingers in my scars and touch my side so that you know that I am the resurrected Christ if I could have the worship team come up I want to end by reading to you the lyrics of one of the most famous famous hymns in history and probably my all-time favorite hymn. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other Fount I know nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's usually all we sing in church, but there's more to that song that I want to read to you. For my pardon, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now by this, I'll overcome nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now by this, I'll reach my home. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Glory, glory, this I sing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. All my praise for this I bring. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I want everyone in this place to hear me loud and clear. Nothing, and I mean nothing, can set you free but the blood of Jesus.
Nothing, and I mean nothing, can make you whole but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can set you free from addiction and sin and depression and oppression and patterns that you hate in your life, but you can't stop. Nothing can set you free but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can make you right with God but the blood of Jesus. Your good deeds can't make you right with God. Your church attendance can't make you right with God. Your good voice can't make you right with God. Your iron clothes and your Sunday best can't make you right with God. Okay, only the blood of Jesus can make you right with God. You can try relationships to fulfill you. You can try sexual adventures to make you whole. You can try... You can try high-level achievement and success in the world and, and try to get whole that way and try to get satisfied that way. You can try wealth and see if that will fulfill you. But I'm going to tell you something. Nothing but the blood of Jesus will make you whole. You can try finding it in your family. You can try, uh, you can try finding it in, in degrees. You can try all of those things, but I'm telling you that it's nothing but the blood of Jesus that will satisfy you, that will fulfill you, that will make you whole, that will set you free. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. And without the resurrection, the blood would not have power. Because it was when Jesus died that he descended down to hell and snatched the keys of death from Satan himself. And because of the resurrection, Jesus disarmed, and he stripped the devil and his demons of their power and authority, and he made a public spectacle of them. He humiliated them. They thought they had won when he was buried in that tomb. But when he rose from the dead and he resurrected, he humiliated them, and he made a public spectacle of them. The pure, spotless, perfect blood of Jesus gains its power from the resurrection. Do you need to be free from sinful patterns in your life today? Do you need hope for a hopeless situation today? Do you need freedom from things that have, that have a hold of you today? It's only by the blood of Jesus that you can be free. And as soon as Jesus revealed himself to Cleopas and the other person, he vanished from their sight. And Luke tells us that these two disciples got up from the table and took the round trip back to Jerusalem to tell the rest of the disciples what had just happened. That was the greatest 14 miles of their lives. That 14 miles completely changed everything. It changed the trajectory of their life. It changed their mission. It changed their purpose. It changed the way they saw Jesus. It changed the way they saw themselves. It changed the way that their future was going to go. It changed the way that they were going to look at what God was doing in their life. It changed everything for them that day. That 14-mile journey. And some of you have gone on a much longer journey than 14 miles. You're struggling. You're making decisions that are destructive. You're making decisions that are setting you back. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you that Jesus wants to join your journey today if you'll let him. He wants you to receive resurrection power for your life today. He wants to reveal himself to you today through the brokenness and the shattered pieces of your life.
He wants to do something fresh and do something new in your heart today, but it's only by the blood of Jesus. You can try fixing yourself up. You can try doing all of these things, but it's only by His blood. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes in this place?